Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 110. It's BGA's Top 10 for 2016. We'd like to thank 2016 for giving us such amazing games that we were able to whittle down to a top 10. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We're so glad to have you back. And we have Anthony back. Woo! The flu is gone. The kids are healthy. <laughs> Knocking on the wood. Thanks for being with me on the last episode. So I was not there alone. And I didn't upset Anthony and did not create any competition with his solo podcast. <laughs> my solo podcast has a co-host now. So <laughs> Wow, you broke so many laws by that, my friend. So many laws. Uh, I know, but it's so much easier to listen to. <laughs> Not just me rambling for 30 minutes once a week. But Matt, no, seriously, like marathon effort last time. Nice work. Ah, I appreciate that. And I, yeah. had, I had my listeners with me, so we, we got through that episode, and we blew out that episode with a ton of great games. So I hope everyone enjoyed that, and if not, please listen back to that episode. Uh, I don't think that we've done an episode with that many games in a very long time, maybe way back to episode 100, where we covered our top 100 games. I think it did, what, like 42 games or something? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The only two episodes with more games were the top fifty and top one hundred. There games. you go. Nice. <laughs> so if you're looking for a comprehensive, up to date list of pretty much anything that's hitting our table, go check back to our last episode, episode one oh nine. With that said, this episode's gonna be about everything great from two thousand sixteen. It was a great year for board gaming. We've got to experience so many great things, including Gen Con and Origins for the very first time that we really enjoyed, um, a number of different smaller conventions locally, and a whole bunch of different game groups in the area, right? Yeah, it was a fantastic year. And it's uh, it's really fun to be able to get out multiple times and interact with all these different people, especially while playing all these amazing games. And it was, like, on the game side, it was kind of a funny year because I feel like 2015 had all these super innovative games like revolutionizing the hobby and changing how we're going to be playing for years and this year was just a lot of really good stuff nothing that was different necessarily than anything that come before but just good stuff that was iterating on everything and i think some people that they're not quite as excited about that but i am very excited about that because that always means evolution and advancement of the hobby as things get better and build on what came before i think that's great because it's a good sign for games to come yeah, there's been a, a number of different news stories from the area. Obviously, we'll talk about more of 2016 when we do our next episode where we kind of look forward into the future of 2017. But yeah, board gaming has been changing a great deal. Asmodee has been gobbling up companies left and right and leaving a wake behind them that's really changing the industry. The convention scene is blowing up everywhere. Every convention that we go to is bigger than the last one. And even our local game groups, you see more and more games, more and more gamers. You go to the big box stores like like Target and Walmart, Barnes & Noble, even probably some places that we even haven't talked about recently. And there's more gamer games there. So it's really amazing to see. Not to mention the fact that over the 
you know, the summer, we got to go to Origins and Gen Con where we got to meet a lot of listeners like you. And really, honestly, for 2016, that's really been my biggest highlight of the year in particular. And if you're listening out there, and the games were good too, so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There were games. You know, we played some things, so. But uh, there you have it. If you hear us, don't be uh, put off by coming up to talk to us because it will make our year. It will literally make make our year because this, you know, behind the scenes, this podcast takes a lot of work and a lot of people are involved, not to mention our families who put up with a a lot of the time lost because we really want to put together the best production we can and the best website that we can, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. If you haven't checked it out, please do because there is so much content Obviously, Anthony started up a new podcast, a solo podcast that's not solo. I don't know. Uh, yeah, what are we going to do? <laughs> uh, and so nonetheless, there's a lot of stuff going on. YouTube is blowing up. We're, we keep putting out um, videos up there, not to mention all of our podcasts are on YouTube, which you might know because you might be listening to this episode on YouTube. So we're getting really meta there. But there's a lot of great stuff that's been going on, and we're looking forward to 2017 even blowing up more with a lot of great new content out there for you. So please keep in touch with us. Uh, I always talk about this at the end of the episode, but this seems to be a really good time to mention it. Our social media is really a great opportunity for us to connect because every episode before we get started, Anthony and I are always talking about how we can connect better to you, but we don't always know that. So what exactly is the best way to connect to you and what are you listening for? We really want to make this podcast for you and the things that you are listening for. So please check out our Facebook account. If you got Facebook, there's no reason not to like us on Facebook. We're not going to throw tons of stuff at you. We just want to be able to have you out there, let you know what we're doing and get to know all our listeners out there. We're also on Twitter, of course. So follow us on Twitter and you can get Anthony's great tweets on there. Daniel is always volunteering him to do something. We obviously have a guild on Board Game Geek. It's a great way to follow us. Uh, If you get a chance, five stars on iTunes or Stitcher really does make a tremendous difference on where we kind of show up on those different top lists because you know we really want to get board gaming out there and showing up on itunes for podcasts people might actually kind of stumble across us and start listening start liking us and then hopefully picking up some games and next thing you know someone's joined you at the table who's never been there before it's a great thing obviously we still have our patreon count and anthony's going to update us in a little while about some other different ways that you can connect with us. And obviously, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. You could check out our email addresses out there. Send us an email, whether it's about reviewing a game or something that you have an interest in. Or maybe there is a game that you're thinking about and you want to get some feedback on. We would love to hear from you. All right. So with that said, let's shout it from the tabletop for the last time in 2016. Shout it from the tabletops. Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. All right, so we're back, and we're around the table, and Anthony and I are talking about games and news and all the great things for BGA. Anthony, why don't you take it away? Okay, so I'm actually just going to talk about a couple things, but then I was watching the newest episode of Grand Tour from last week, actually. This is the Amazon Prime show from the guys who did Top Gear, and I've been a fan of them for a long time, so I just I don't, I don't know anything about cars, but they're funny, so watch the show. <laughs> okay. Um, But they had a segment on the show about let's make board games interesting. And immediately I was like, oh, no, guys, don't do this. (laughs) Um, 
we're going with the trope that board games are lame and only kids play them. And that's kind of the way they went. Um, but what they did was pretty cool. They made a uh, giant-sized game of Battleship in which they dropped cars on top of other cars using a grid like Battleship. So wow. each side had a 4 by 4 grid, and they were trying to guess where like a limo was parked and a Prius and a Winnebago and see who can blow up the other guy's cars first. Um, <laughs> so I don't really have anything on this other than, A, stop with the tropes that board gaming is for lamos and kids and it's only battleship and the crap you buy at target or toys r us and b that was really cool you should do that with other games so <laughs> yeah i would love that like let's do a life-size cry havoc and just start blowing <laughs> each other up i think that's called war <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah i guess we do have that <laughs> i think we have that already <laughs> um yeah i mean i know a lot of people do some giant-sized board games there's a lot of cool stuff out there but it was particularly fun to watch especially because they really got into the game like the tension and the excitement that you could see there that was real a lot of this is staged in their little videos that they do but this was real the excitement and it was not a good board game that they were reproducing (laughs) but it was it was fun to watch did they say you sunk my battleship or something to that you blew up my limo was the first one okay (laughs) because you know they obviously were using different kinds of cars but yeah it was pretty fun and it it got pretty tense towards the end so it was a fun nod to board gaming in general but it was also mildly annoying the way it was presented (laughs) a little bit of both uh so the other stuff the stuff i was already like i came to the show prepared to talk about the first thing I wanted to talk about is something that maybe a lot of you experienced. It's the Fantasy Flight Holiday Sale. Yes. What a catastrophe this yes. thing was. Did you did you buy anything from this? I didn't because first off, the site was to say to say the least was a little problematic, and uh, it was it was just bad. I mean, it was all kinds of bad. And usually, Fantasy Flight's holiday sale is one of the big events of the holiday season as far as buying board games are concerned. Everyone waits for this. Everyone flocks to it. It was amazing to see Asmodee games there that you could pick from. So that Mm -hmm. was a really nice thing. And then it all kind of fell apart. And then from what I'm hearing, it's continuing to fall apart. Yes. So I did buy some stuff from this. And it was not okay. Okay. (laughs) So I bought a few things. I finished out my Battle Lore collection because they were basically clearing that out. That game is apparently done. Um, <gasps> nobody said anything, but the expansions were for sale for like 70% off wow. and then cool stuff did the same thing. So I, I would don't see how this game survives this. They seem to be clearancing it. That's very upsetting for me because I've been waiting for the elves, as you know, as, as everyone knows. To, yeah. Until I buy I this game. I was sad because it's, I want the elves too. I want a nicely balanced game. And you know, there are six armies now cause you have two for each of the three, but and it doesn't all fit in the box now that I have it all. The, yeah, it's frustrating that they might be clearing it out. Maybe they already had it in development. That'd be cool to see maybe later in the year. But it seems like it's dead. So anyways, I picked up all that stuff and a couple other things that really cheap. And it arrived. Okay, I put this order in on November 17th. So uh, as of the recording of this, that was five and a half weeks ago. And it arrived about three days ago. So wow. <laughs> uh, it took weeks and weeks to ship. There was no shipping notification. They didn't charge anything. They actually had to call me after it showed up because my credit card verification had expired. That's how long it took to ship. The box showed up with no packing material whatsoever. Wow. 
And because I had ordered Battlelore expansions, they were blister packs, it was fine. But other people got stuff that was completely destroyed. One of the things I ordered wasn't in the box. It was not good. And you can find the thread on Board Game Geek in the Hot Deal section where people are just not too happy with this. Sure. Now, to their credit, they realized that they screwed up. Uh, apparently what they did is they hired a third party this year to do it. And that third party did a really bad job. So when I emailed them and said, hey, this was missing, uh, I got it. First off, they replied immediately and they fixed it. So they shipped out the thing that was missing. They didn't charge me for that. Then they said I could keep anything that I hadn't ordered. So I guess that's a thing. Some people got stuff they hadn't ordered. Wow. That didn't happen to me, but it's nice that they said that. And then I got a phone call a couple of days later from somebody to apologize and verify that everything was good. And then when the replacement arrived, it came with a hand-signed letter from uh, Christian Peterson, the CEO of Fantasy Flight Games, basically being like, we really screwed up. We're sorry. So wow. They realized they messed up, but it's still hard to accept how obnoxious this was. Some people still don't have their packages. And, and some people still don't have their elves. Just well, saying, that, Christian. Not just saying. Letter, I don't think it's going to happen. Written letter, no. that'd be fine. <laughs> if I could get one in Elvish, I would really appreciate that. Um, yeah. So, like, on one hand, you have like the worst possible way this could have been handled. On the other hand, at least they're trying to make up for it. They're not charging anybody anything for all this extra shipping and everything. I just feel bad for anybody where this stuff was Christmas gifts because it probably isn't going to make it. Mm. But yeah, just wanted to talk about that. A lot of people are talking about it, and there's both sides of the story here. It was very poorly handled, but they're trying to fix it. Sounds like next year they're not going to go with that company, so hopefully it won't be such a, a nightmare next time around. Wrapping up around the table, uh, just a couple of other things. Uh, Chris mentioned the solo cast is not so solo anymore. Uh, I groaned only because it gives me grief about it. Uh, <laughs> But it is awesome. Uh, Jason has joined me, and Jason is great. He brings a lot of really good discussion topics to the show. I did throw up an episode of Table for One on the Board Gamers Anonymous feed a couple weeks ago. So if you caught that, thank you. Thank you for listening. I know a good number of people did download that and listen to it. But yeah, check us out every week. We put out you know, 20, 30-minute podcasts once a week talking about solo games, topics related to them, uh, sometimes topics not necessarily related to them, but the whole idea of like, narrative and gaming and playing stuff you know alone versus with other people and all that cool stuff uh it's a lot of fun and i enjoy recording it as much as i enjoy recording this and it's just kind of a nice little bite-sized part of my gaming life uh the time i spend at home playing so it's fun to share that with you guys so check it out we do re we're at like episode 14 or 15 now uh so there's a lot of good stuff out there to listen to I mean, I've listened to the podcast and I like it and I like Jason a lot, but now it just seems like a pasted on theme. I'm just saying. I have to call you out on that. It's, you know, it's not thematic anymore. <sighs> I mean, if you listen if you to episode Geek, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, the solo gamers get together, they talk about it. You can have more than one. It's not thematic. Doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> It's just an abstract now. I don't. It's an abstract concept. I'm I, as a thematic gamer. I'm I'm kind of bothered by it. I love but, abstract games. I'm just saying. Ugh, don't like abstract games. All right, that's fine. <laughs> we'll have our differences. If you want to listen to a real solo podcast, episode 109, guys. Just saying. Just it's saying. a one shot. It's a one shot. It's a one shot. But you, you know, you used to be cool, and now now you, Jason's there. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know what's with you, man. You used to be solo. 
We did sell out, but it is much more <laughs> listenable now. It's, okay. It's a lot easier to listen to than just me rambling for 30 minutes okay. with, with no outline. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Oh, man. So the last thing real quick, uh, and this is more of a plug, but we are, if you go to the Board Gamers Anonymous website, you And will, I do. Yes, you should. I do. <laughs> <laughs> you will see that with uh, the game reviews and the uh, the longer articles, there are now links to those games to go to Amazon. Full disclosure, we do make a tiny little bit when you buy something through those links, whether you buy that game or something else completely random. But if you want to help support the show, in addition to Patreon, this is a very easy way to do it. If you're going to buy something anyways, if you're going to buy one of these games anyways through Amazon, click one of those links. It helps us out. Every little bit counts. And uh, to everybody who's already done that, thank you very much. Uh, it helps us to pay all the bills on the hosting and the podcasting and the microphones when they break and all that. So really appreciate it. So let me get this straight. So I don't have to just buy board games. If I click on that link, I could buy literally anything and a little bit of help the podcast? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Actually, got some random stuff on. Like, I can check the list and see what people are buying. I can't see who's buying it, so don't – I'm not, like – looking in your cart but uh i could like someone bought socks someone else bought like minions pajamas nice. yeah if, whatever you buy after you click that link it all goes towards uh you know we get a tiny little cut of that and it, it again appreciate it and it's uh it's super helpful and this christmas week meant that there were some really large orders so i appreciate all those people buying all their gifts on amazon at the last minute but they have to click on the link from our website to be able to do that yes okay. yeah and i'll put a link here in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and just want to go over there and do that, I will make that easy for you. And if you go to the show notes for this episode on the website, there will be a link for each of the 10 games that we're listing today. So, And it doesn't cost anybody anything more, not even a penny more to do that? No, no, no. It just costs Amazon. Okay. <laughs> so we're so taking the money from the corporation, guys. It's all good. All right, man. Fight the power. I'm all down for that. All right. So that's everything from around the table. We've been talking about our Amazon links up there. Now let's give you some games to go out and buy with our Acquisition Disorders. And now, our Acquisition Disorders. Acquisition Disorders? That's crazy! Only needs the base game, nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion, see? Nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded Alright, so, so the base game, the expansion, we've been talking about some great games in 2016, see, but let's talk about some games that probably just hit the scene or are about to hit the scene and are something you should put on your radar so when they do pop you should jump on our amazon link but nonetheless anthony why don't you start us off all right so someone asked me the other day uh what games i had coming in from kickstarter soon so i looked through my list and it was mildly depressing just because of how many games have been backed and haven't arrived yet but also the cost uh, and that is the very definition of acquisition disorder, my friends. Mild regret and incredible excitement mixed together. But there's a few that are coming very soon that I'm particularly excited about that you'll be able to buy almost immediately after that. Uh, the first one, I think, is probably the most buzzed about. I'm not really sure. All these are pretty popular. But this is the one people have been asking me about because they know I backed it. And that is Gloomhaven. Uh, this is the Isaac Childress game. He designed Forge War, and I think this is only a second game, actually. But it is a big, epic, and I'm pretty sure the box is about 20 pounds. That's not an exaggeration. This is a legacy-style, dungeon-crawling, RPG-esque game. I don't know how else to describe it. It's very unique, but we played this at Origins, but we only really got to play the 
basic mechanical version. We didn't really get to see how the game evolved. So it wasn't mind-blowing in that iteration, but it had a few good mechanisms. The card play was pretty interesting. Uh, what I'm really excited about is to see how this plays when it is legacy, where you are changing the board, where you're getting rid of characters that maybe you didn't decided not to save in a certain situation. So I'm doubly excited because I actually have a group together uh, of people who have agreed to sit down and play this game with me, which I don't always get for these types of games. And it is coming in the next month or so. So this is a game I will absolutely be playing very soon. And I'll be talking about on the podcast. You should track it down if you can, assuming there are enough copies to go around. I don't think there will be. So <laughs> keep your eye out for this one. The other couple ones that are kind of on the radar. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff from Cool Mini or not. And a lot of you are probably on these. So I'm not going to go into too much detail here. But but we have Mesmora, of course, the dice-based dungeon crawling game, which I'm pretty sure is on a boat at this point. And then Arcadia Quest Inferno, which I also know is on a boat at this point. Both of those should be showing up sometime between third week of January and third week of February. So lots more miniatures and dice rolling coming from <laughs> Cool Mini or not sometime in the near future. And then the last one is Fields of Green. This is the farming version of Among the Stars that supposedly fixes a lot of the weird wonkiness of Among the Stars, turns it into a theme that I guess our Euro gamers are a little more familiar with and comfortable with and adds a bunch of cool stuff because it was a Kickstarter and you get a bunch of free stuff. So I'm excited about that. I always did like Among the Stars. It was hard to get to the table, though, uh, as a drafting game. Just it had a few things that just weren't quite right. So all of those are on the radar for the next like six weeks. And I'm excited about all of them. So I'll be talking about them very soon. So for my first acquisition disorder, it's Scythe, Invaders from Afar. Now, we've talked about Scythe a lot, and we will actually be talking about Scythe a lot more upcoming. But the expansion here is something that we knew was coming for a very long time. Actually, in fact, during the Kickstarter, Jamie Stegmeier talked about how this one was going to be coming a little bit later. But I guess it turned out <laughs> that he underestimated the community as far as their desire to get a seven-player game out there, even though I think that even he would not recommend putting that many players on the board at the same time. But nonetheless, because of our overwhelming desire to fill every spot, he kind of came out with the expansion a little earlier. And what we're looking at is an expansion that holds two more players, a green player and a purple player, and Anthony and I happen to both be green players, so uh, that's going to be a little challenging, but I'm glad to see the green represented. And purple is always nice to have at the table. I know a lot of players always look for purple. Now, what we're looking at is kind of like a Highlander faction and a Japanese faction, and these are kind of like the opposite ends of the board. Now, what's interesting and different about these factions, if you ever played Scythe, you know, the base game, is typically Scythe is... Uh, about these kind of main kind of race boards that they have their special abilities. And one of their special abilities in, in all of the main uh, boards are include a, an additional movement. Now, these two boards, these invaders from afar, they don't actually have that. What they have is a very similar mechanic where they will drop tokens on spots on the board and then be able to claim those at the end of the game for additional points. Now, for the Japanese faction, and they're not called the Japanese faction, but typically that's what we're looking at here, um, they're dropping traps. 
So what the trap will allow you to do is to hold that area unless someone triggers the trap because they don't want you to claim that area, but a penalty is going to happen to them. Now, with the Highlander faction here, what they're going to be able to do is drop flags, and they're basically colonizing that area. And for both those factions, what they're going to be able to do is to jump to that area. So you're giving up that extra movement, but what you're also being able to claim here is kind of almost a teleporting ability to kind of jump across the map when you need to. So that's excellent. You're looking at great miniatures, great components. Once again, just everything that you expect from a, a Stonemeyer game. Now, for myself, this does not include the metal coins or the dials that kind of come with the base set, at least the you know the very expensive kind of version I picked up. Jamie Seckmeyer has posted that Meeple Source and I guess other retailers will be selling uh, additional coins that you could pick up for this set that kind of go along with these factions. And in addition to that, power dials. Uh, so, you know, if you want to be the completionist that I already am, I don't recommend that. But nonetheless, when I do pick up this expansion, and I will absolutely be picking up this expansion, I'm going to be picking up the the coins that go along with this and the power dials because just for me, I got to have everything to match. Uh, it's a serious problem, and that's why this is an, <laughs> an acquisition disorder corner. So uh, I'm okay with that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's okay. I mean, I did get the expansion. I don't think I'm quite to the level where I want to go get the extra stuff because I will never play this with seven people, okay. but I understand where you're coming from. I just got to have the colors match up, and I just just having these cardboard tokens where i have the metal tokens just doesn't you know feel right yeah i mean i get it it's yeah. tough the, the price on the expansion was good so i'm not complaining too much i feel like if that stuff had been thrown in especially for people who bought the retail edition we're like wait what is this like <laughs> i didn't get this with my copy of the game what's really but surprising it's... is the the dials not being included that's really surprising to me i mean i maybe i under i understand the coins because the coins were kind of an add-on but the dials weren't included? Why? Why, Jamie? Why? <laughs> He's writing a text message to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> he is. <laughs> he is. He knows. Come on. All right. Fine. <sighs> this will sell well. It looks like, you know, great additional components. It's got all the great artwork. And it's absolutely an acquisition disorder. And you should be picking this up right now as soon as Jamie gets back to me about the whys. There's so many whys there, man, Jamie. So many whys. All right, so my second acquisition disorder that are not about my whys with Jamie is Innis. Now, I've talked about this game <laughs> here and there because it really was something that caught my attention in Gen Con while Anthony and I were kind of rushing around the convention floor. This game caught my eye because of its outstanding artwork, and I just kept coming back to it. And unfortunately, wasn't able to pick up a copy. And unfortunately, still have not been able to pick up a copy. I did get it to the table once when I went to a game store. And this proprietor at the game store was like, I know how to play this. And I'm like, great. We pulled it down. It was on the top shelf. He had to get this really ridiculously high ladder. I got it down. I went through the cards. I started putting the pieces out. He came over. He showed us like one or two things that he knew. And he forgot the rest of it. So I got through a little bit of the game to kind of get a feel for it, but not enough that I would feel confident to say that I've played this game, but I absolutely positively want to get this game to the table. Uh, Manigo has done a great job with Kemet uh, especially, and 
Cyclades, which I've enjoyed a lot, even though Daniel has not been such a big fan. But it seems to be in the very much the same line. Outstanding components, outstanding artwork, great theming in this game. A very different theme. We're looking at Celtic history here. Uh, interesting, unique gameplay that either is going to hit you straight on and you're going to love it. Or you're going to be so-so kind of wishy-washy about it. This is still something I want to pick up. I'm willing to gamble and wager that this is going to be something that's going to hit home. Cyclades was something that it has kind of it has to grow on you. Um, the Titans expansion is a little different, but the kind of the, the standard base game was something like you kind of build up, you set up, you, you make your move, and then you kind of wait. And I think this is the same thing here, where you're going to kind of pick your moment, try to reach your uh, victory condition either by leadership um, by land religion and kind of hopefully kind of win the day but uh just by the components the artwork the theming and the great reputation alone this is definitely something i'm going to be picking up and i can't wait to get this game to the table i've heard only good things i've also not played this yet but i know at least two people in my gaming group have this on their top 10 for the lit for the year uh so it's definitely something i want to try out yeah i feel really bad because i think from the little bit of the gameplay that I actually play through and, and going through the components and going through the cards. And if the the box art is kind of pulling you away from that, it's not the art in the cards. The art in the cards are outstanding. The art on the, the board pieces are outstanding. The way they kind of connect together is outstanding. So please give this game a serious look because I think that it's going to be something you're going to enjoy. All right, so that's our acquisition disorders. Now on to the games that are hitting our table. At the table with BGA. Okay, so let's talk about what's hitting our table for the last time for 2016. Now, we're going to talk about some games, let you know how great they play or how poorly they play, and we're going to use our BGA patent system of rating whether a game is a buy, and this game is a game you should pick up right away despite the price. Or if the game is a play, and if you see it hit the table somewhere, grab a seat because you're really going to enjoy the ride. Or maybe the game is a dodge. It's an okay game, but there's better choices and really you shouldn't be wasting your time. Or if the game's a dreaded burn, maybe it's just a gaming experience, but not really a game so much. Maybe one of those games where you don't really have to be there to play the game. It kind of plays itself and you should avoid that game at all costs. All right. So with our rating system all set up, Anthony, why don't you take us through a game? I will do so. Uh, so this is a game that uh, we saw a little tiny bit of at Gen Con, and we didn't get a chance to play it. It is the newest edition of Manhattan Project, Energy Empire. It is not designed by the original designer of Manhattan Project. It's just part of that brand. How it was described to me originally is, this is the version of the Manhattan Project you can play with your spouse, because it's not about building a bomb. Instead, what it is about is the years after the bomb was developed and how all these different countries modernized and built up their industry and utilized different types of energy to do so. So it's it's not like Power Grid at all, but if, if you're thinking of a theme, go in that direction uh, because you are gathering resources and building different technologies to power something. Thematically, it's a little wishy-washy, but the game itself is very good, and it does. it is for a couple of reasons. First off, you have several different resource types. You start the game with some of those resources based on which country you are. 
So there's different country cards you can start the game with, and they match up to countries from the 1950s. So it's not Russia, it's the USSR, etc. Great Britain or Canada or the USSR or India or the US. And each of them starts with different resources based on kind of what those countries used in that time period. And those resources are money, which you're going to use to buy all sorts of stuff, plastic, steel, science, and oil. And what you'll be doing throughout the game is you will be using workers. You start the game with a couple workers. You can recruit more using certain actions and energy. And energy acts as either a substitute for a worker under certain situations, depending on the cards, or a way to boost a worker. So on the board, there are several action spaces. Uh, about half of them allow you to buy cards, and the other half allow you to do certain things. Uh, you can buy dice. You can you can convert certain resources into other resources. You can move your way up the United Nations track. Lots of different things you can do. I'm not going to go into all of it. But if someone else goes to a space, it's blocked unless you want to upgrade your worker with energy. Uh, and that allows you, you basically to stack them up because the workers are all these little cardboard uh, tabs and they, you know, they all stack together with the energy. And that is pretty cool. I mean, it allows you a little bit of flexibility in where you go and how you go. It also lets you block spaces from other people by using a little extra energy. All very cool stuff. So you're going to put all your stuff out. And at the end of, there is no real round, but like when you run out of guys, you can choose to bring them back. When you bring them back, you're going to roll dice. So what you can do is you can spend oil to get a oil die. Or you can get permanent dice, which you purchase through the board or through a variety of different cards that you can pick up. And those dice go on your board and you can use them every time. When you roll the dice, a lot of those sides are going to have different energy tokens on them. So whatever the dice end up saying, that's how many energy tokens you get for the next round. But some of those also have pollution icons on them. And some of them even have radiation icons on them. If you get a pollution icon, you have to place it on your board. Your board is a five by three grid, and each of those spots corresponds to possible scoring opportunities. So when you cover it up with pollution, you're blocking possible points. There are these event cards that come out every round, and the event cards will tell you which row is going to score or what's going to happen. So you want to keep as little pollution out there as possible, but at the same time, you're going to get pollution. So you really need to mitigate and manage where those things go. There's other things you can do. You can put oil drilling wells down on your board, which block spaces, but also give you a lot of energy uh, that you can use in the future. You can purchase so many different types of cards. All of these cards go into a tableau where you can spend energy or use workers to produce different goods or convert different things to specific types of goods or make money. So many different types of things you can do here. This game is really, really good. And it evokes the feel of Manhattan Project a little bit, but it's not really like that game, except in kind of the unique way it does the worker placement stuff. The game itself is about something totally different. How you manage your own personal tableau is a little bit different. And the integration of the dice, which don't do a ton, but are A, worth points at the end of the game if they're permanent, and B, uh, offer some very interesting ways that you can kind of reduce your um, pollution, depending on how you roll them, is super cool. I really like how everything works together here. When you sit down and look at all the different components and all the different types of mechanisms, it doesn't seem like it's all going to work together that well, but it really does. It fits together just like 
these perfectly fitted puzzle pieces. And the result is just a fun, quick, accessible game. You're not building a bomb. You're not trying to blow anybody up. It's got the brain burniness. If you want it, you can dig in and try to build up a really good engine out of all those cards. Or you can ignore the cards completely and just try to manage your pollution. Both ways work. I've won doing it both ways. It's a lot of fun. Honestly, if this is something I'd played a little bit earlier in the year and gotten more plays on, it'd probably be on my top 10 for the year list. At this point, I haven't played it enough to put it there, but it is very close and a game I think I'm going to be coming back to a lot. So uh, Manhattan Project Energy Empire is a definite buy from me. This is a game worth checking out. Now, did I hear correctly that this was kind of a kind of its own game and then kind of the theme was kind of pasted onto this? I don't know the, the backstory, but I could totally see that. I mean, this is two different developers. Uh, I think Luke Laurie and Tom Jolly are their names. And they the game was picked up by Minion Games and they made it part of this kind of expanding Manhattan Project brand um, along with Chain Reaction that came out this year as well. And this was kickstarted because sure. the original version I played, one of my friends kickstarted it here in the local game group. I don't it doesn't really feel like a, an organic part of the Manhattan Project empire of games or little fiefdom <laughs> as it's growing. Sure. But it works. I mean, it uses the same aesthetics. The artwork is very similar. The workers kind of look the same. It uses a lot of those same visual cues. So if you know the one game, you at least have a little bit to start with. You could have slapped any number of different themes on this. I think it would have worked. But this one works as well. I mean, I didn't. It never pulled out of it. I was too abstract or anything. I enjoyed it all the way through, and I thought it worked fine. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing about the game itself. And as you said, if it allows other people to feel engaged with it, and if it does include some of the mechanics or some of the look of Manhattan Project, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think it integrates well into that family and it offers, again, an experience similar to but not really a lot like without that theme that I know a lot of people get hung up on, including myself at sometimes. So uh, it's an interesting game. It's definitely worth checking out. That sounds great. Then it's something I'm going to have to pick up then now. Look at what you're doing there. <laughs> yeah, success. Uh, all right, fine. <laughs> I know it was actually a game that I was interested in. We went to the Gen Con. We were like, you were like, what games do you want? I'm like, these games. And that was actually one of the games there. Yeah, and it was not one that they had anything ready for yet. I think they had a prototype there that they were showing off. And it just shipped to backers like a month ago. And it just showed up in the store like a week ago. Wow. So, I played it a couple times now. But like I said, I haven't had enough time to, to really vet it out. But having played it those couple times plus a solo, I can say this is very good. Nice. So a game that's hitting my table is Super Motherload. It's a deck building tile placement game in which you are going to start with a deck of seven cards and throughout the game you are going to be able to take two actions you can either drill which is the main part of this game because it's all about the video game drilling through in order to pick up resources in this kind of sci-fi fantasy version of this game uh, you could draw two cards so unlike most deck building games you actually have to take an action to draw cards or you can play a bomb. Now, the red cards in this game, which is part of your initial deck, will actually blow up a certain area. And you're going to need to do that because while you're digging, there are certain areas that are going to be kind of like encrusted with rock. And if you want to get to those minerals, you have to use a bomb card. There are also spots in this board where the minerals are going to kind of be surrounded or protected by certain steel plates that are going to have a certain color around them and you're going to have to play a certain color 
of a card in order to drill through those areas. So basically, on your turn, if you're not drawing cards, you're playing cards to drill. So you'll see on your card the numbers of drills that you can do, and you're going to match up certain colors to certain areas of the board. And as someone starts to drill, they'll take a black piece of a token and cover that area that shows that now those materials are gone and now it's a tunnel and on your turn you have to kind of go off that initial tunnel to dig materials so um, as long as it's orthogonal you're fine and you drill and you get your materials and there are a number of different materials that are going to kind of are worth different amounts of I guess would be like kind of credits in this game and when you get those materials you'll place them on one of the decks of cards in front of you because as I said you'll start with your deck of seven cards but there are also a number of decks that you're going to be able to purchase to add to your deck and what's interesting about this game is each of these sets of cards have ascending values to them so um the whole first set, no matter which deck you're picking from, is going to have a 10 cost. Then there's a 15 cost, a 20 cost, and then a 25 cost. So when you're picking up your resources that you drilled that turn, they're going to have a certain value. Once you place them on the card, they're there for the game. So you want to be able to get enough value through minerals to be able to purchase cards to add to your hand that allows you to dig more and have special abilities. It lets you get more resources that you'll able to purchase more cards to put into your hand. And then throughout the game, there are kind of like minor goals that you'll be able to pick up one each turn. And then there are major goals, which are hard to get to, but you'll probably be able to get to at least one by the end of the game. Once the game does wrap up, you'll look at your hand of cards, and the cards that you purchase will have a victory point total on the bottom. You count up all of those points, plus any special award cards you got, either minor or major, at the end of the game, and whoever has the most victory points wins. Now, to take a step back and to kind of look at the theme, you're just kind of drilling. It's it's kind of a dig-dug type of game, and as you're picking up those resources, as you're picking up additional bombs, because, as I said, certain areas need to be bombed to kind of be blown open, you're picking up some random things. So, as you know, depending on the number of players that you have in the game, you're kind of waiting around to see what you can dig, and obviously everyone's going for the really high-valued stuff. And really the only thing that's stopping them is if they don't happen to have those cards in their hand at that at that moment. So there's a little randomness as far as what you're drawing, what you're able to dig, and there's also these alien artifacts. And if you're able to capture those, it'll give you a special ability that's kind of hidden just for you until you kind of flip it over. It could be victory points, it could be take an extra turn. It's it's kind of interesting, kind of random. Um, it's, it's, it is engaging because p- purchasing the cards and the strategic choices there, obviously drilling to kind of open up new areas for you and hopefully not for your opponent is, is somewhat engaging. The game is a solid play. I like the deck building mechanic. I like the tile placement, but it tends to be very situational and very tactical to the point where there isn't really any long-term strategic plan that can go on this game because... When the good materials are gone, they're gone. Uh, And you really kind of have to build slowly at that point and maybe get lucky and hit your moment. It's worth the play. 
it's not worth the buy just because it's a little off in that way. The artwork is odd, but yet unique. So if you do kind of flip through Board Game Geek and see if this artwork is for you, then maybe it's something worthy of your time. Hmm. This is a game I've eyeballed a couple times. A little disappointing to hear it's not much deeper than what it looks like, but it does sound like it'd be an interesting playthrough at least. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like a early 8-bit, 16-bit video game kind of thing. Uh, it's interesting. Every player has a kind of different art style to their card, their character cards. And, you know, when you get two artifacts, you dig deeper and you're able to open up a new area. And then once you pass that second board, the first board disappears. So it's interesting. It's a game chain. I, I think for people who are just starting to get into board gaming and are coming for video gaming, this might be something you want to hit on the table. But otherwise, it doesn't really have much, you know, kind of long-term playability. Yeah, it's always a shame. You want that theme that's good for video gamers to also be deep, but then it, if you're trying to make it accessible, it doesn't really work that way either. It always ends up in between. Yeah. Like I said, if you have a you have a video game person in your family or your friend group that you want to get into board gaming, this would probably be the game. But for everybody else, it's just a play. All right. So my second game is another one. This is actually a game I didn't realize was coming out. I didn't realize it existed, um, which doesn't happen too often anymore. But to be fair, it is a Z-Man game, and they're not always great about their promotions. So this is the newest non-18xx game from Helmut Ole. Uh, that, that is the designer of Russian Railroads, which is one of my favorite uh, worker placement games, especially with the two expansions now. And this one is... Uh, a buddy of mine described it as Russian Railroads, the card game. And it's not exactly like that, but it is very similar in that you're building up all these different things, trying to build an engine. You're getting points every round. They kind of steamroll. And by the last round of the game, you get as many points in that last turn as you did the entire rest of the game. So it's a little like it in that sense. It's very snowball-y. So first class is it's a pretty straightforward card game. What you're going to be doing is you're going to have your own little board and there's going to be two trains attached to it along with two conductors and you're going to be drafting cards from a tableau with everybody else at the table so this tableau is going to have something like 20 cards i don't remember exactly how many but 20 or 25 cards out there and people will take turns pulling those cards off of the tableau some of them are train cards some of them are actions some of them are movement cards for uh, either your conductor or your train. There's a separate train track at the top of the board, similar to the factory track in Russian Railroads, and that as you move along, you get all these bonuses and you get them multiple times. There are money tokens that you're going to get as well that will fill up your board. And when you spend these, you can use them to complete different things depending on which column you put them in. And your trains, there's two of them, they can be up to 10 cards long. So when you get to the sixth car, you get a special bonus from your hand. And when you get to the 10th car, you get to take a special tile that is worth points at the end of the game. Every time you score, you're going to score up both of your trains, depending on which numbers are out there, and your train uh, travel on the track. And so that'll happen multiple times throughout the game. It does ramp up, obviously, as you upgrade your trains and get better cards and kind of unlock new stuff as you move forward. All of that's pretty basic. It takes maybe 10 or 15 minutes to teach. It's very, very interesting because you have so many choices. The Tableau style of drafting is always cool to me. I like it. It has this unique thing. It's not unique. It's a fun thing, though, where if any of those rows gets down to too few cards, you take out the whole row. 
So you can block somebody from taking a card you know they need by taking a different card that maybe isn't awesome for you, but maybe there's not a better one. So who knows? Um, then there is the uh, there's the race element. The first person to finish their train and get their conductor to the end of it will get a whole bunch of bonus points. And you can do that twice. So you can be the first person and the second person because you have two trains. And then probably the coolest thing about this game is that it comes with modules. So there's a couple of base modules that the game comes with, but then you're going to mix in all these different ones. So there are ticketed passengers that give you bonuses. There are um, upgrade cards. There are There's a murder mystery module that allows you to kind of mess with people a little bit. So it's a very, very interesting way to play the game. And it offers all this different variability and replayability and expandability. <laughs> um, I can't imagine how easy this game will be to expand because you just throw a new module at it. It was a lot of fun. At first, it seemed a little too simple. Uh, it seemed like it was literally Russian Railroads, the card game. But the variability, the fact that you can mix and match these modules, the fact that there are three or four different paths you can take to win the game legitimately and how quick it is to pick up and learn. And above all else, it only takes about an hour, maybe an hour and 20 or 30 minutes versus Russian Railroads, which is a two to three hour game. So if you like Russian Railroads, don't have the time for it or don't like kind of the how many things are going on on the table at any given time, especially with the German upgrade that kind of makes the game a little more replayable. This is a fun, lighter, less table burdensome <laughs> version of that game without being too simple. Like it is still complex enough to be fun for a, you know, a heavy Euro player. For me, it's a strong play. I don't think it's quite to the buy level yet just because I do like Russian Railroad so much and I don't, don't know if I need both of these in my collection, but I'm leaning towards yes. Want to play it a couple more times, but I really do enjoy it thus far. So this is not a hardcore buy then, I guess. Just just normal kind of play it's so close yeah i mean i i don't feel like i've played it enough to really dig in like because it has all those modules it has a lot of different ways to play it sure i don't feel like i've gotten enough out of it the first time i played it i was like i have to have this, this is amazing yeah, and then the I was, second that's time what i figured I, yeah yeah it was really good and it really does remind me of russian railroads it feels the same it ramps up it snowballs you get huge scores but having played it a second time, it did feel a little samey with the same modules. Sure. So I need to play it with a few different combinations of modules to know, A, how replayable it is, and B, see what you know the different tracks and tactics and strategies look like. So for, for now, it's definitely a play. You should absolutely play this if you like Russian Railroads or games like that. Uh, long term, uh, I don't know yet. But it's definitely one I'm going to, you know, beg someone to pull out again if i don't sure. have a copy myself because it is a lot of fun you know initially when i got into board gaming this idea that there would be these games with all these kind of multiple modules that you can kind of pick and play it seemed like the greatest thing in the world because typically when you're buying a game since it is so expensive you are thinking i'm going to hold on to this game forever and I want to be able to play it forever and play with every different possibility and every promo that comes out and every expansion that comes out. And then as you get on, you're playing board games for a while, it just feels like sometimes, and I'm not saying this is the case here, but I don't know if it's like, have they not game tested this enough to just to pick out what works best? Because we're not going to hit, a game's not going to hit the table a hundred times, at least, I don't know, not most games. 
So what's the best version? Let's just play that. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the case. And I don't know what the best version of this is yet. I feel like, for example, the murder mystery module almost feels like a separate game. Um, I'm not sure that it mixes well or really fits the overall theme of the game, but it's just cool that it exists. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a very interesting game. It kind of came out of nowhere for me. I didn't expect too much because I hadn't heard of it, but it definitely surprised me in a lot of good ways. Okay. Sounds decent. Well, talking about extra modules and expansions here, I want to talk about an expansion I recently was able to get to the table. Now, I've spoken about Carson City previously, and that's a worker placement game and with a Western theme. Recently, they came out with a big box edition that I was able to pick up through Kickstarter. And one of the expansions that was included in that big box, but was also uh, available previously, was their Horses and Heroes expansion. Now, what this expansion is going to give you is three new character cards. You're going to look at a paperboy, your general kind of John Wayne kind of character, and your kind of team of or posse of heroes. So your paperboy person is going to give you a kind of cloning option to clone another character's special ability. Um, Your John Wayne type of character here is going to give you an additional horse, which I'm going to talk about in a second. And your general posse of heroes here are going to protect all of your locations so nobody can steal your money and going to give you a lot of money to hold on to at the end of the game. So what this expansion is going to do for you is it's kind of going to beef up a little bit your regular game of Carson City. Now, if you remember, Carson City, as I said, is a worker placement game and has kind of a little bit of a Kalos mechanic where there are going to be activation spots where you can put your workers and they're going to um, activate in a certain order. So there's going to be spots in this game. And one of the spots here with this expansion is going to be a new overlay spot, which is going to be able to purchase horses for $4 or just get $4, which is going to be good in this game because money is going to be very tight. So you're going to place your characters to get weapons, to get money, in order to place down properties, in order to buy buildings, in order to score victory points at the end of the game. So there's a lot of different spots here. Now, as I said, this is going to beef up the game a little bit because what this is going to be able to do is give everyone a player board that's going to allow you to utilize your horses in different ways. Now, at the start of the game, you're given one horse token. And when you place down one of your kind of cowboys out there out in the field, you will be given the option to play a free action, which is your horse action, to place it on one of five different spots. Now, on this little horse board, you're going to place your horse token or your horse meeple, depending on whether you got the regular expansion or the big box expansion. The first spot is going to be horses equal guns. So one horse equals one gun or three horses equals two guns. The second spot is going to allow you to place a second meeple or move a meeple or to move the track marker because you're already done placing all your meeples. Or you can also place or you can also get money for the ranches you have out there. Or you can also pick up two bucks on the next spot. Or finally, you can go to the rodeo. Now, while the rodeo doesn't actually do anything for you except kind of give you additional rodeo points. Because I didn't mention that each of these spots on the bottom has a cowboy hat that's going to give you a certain number of kind of rodeo points. So going back to the very beginning is one, 
then two, then two, then three, and then the rodeo's five because basically the rodeo's not doing anything but giving you rodeo points. Well, why do you want rodeo points? Well, you want rodeo points because at the end of the round, whoever has the most points is going to get a rodeo token that is going to allow them to score additional victory points for each horse that they have. Now, let's say, for example, you don't have a lot of horses, but you really want to get those points. There is an additional spot at the end of that player board that if you place a meeple, instead of placing them on the main board, if you place them on your personal board, you'll be able to double the victory points of a certain spot depending on how many horses you have there. So it allows kind of some competition. Now, when I played with this expansion, um, I was a little kind of you know, hesitant because I really liked the base game, of course, of Carson City and really didn't want to add anything more to it. But this expansion does something very nice, which it gives you just a little bit more. Like I said earlier, maybe just one more gun or one more movement or a couple more dollars or another way to score victory points. Now, when I played with this expansion, I went for the horses pretty hardcore as it seemed that everyone was kind of taking all the good buildings. And I think at the end of the game, it scored me 24 points. I really kind of took all those points for myself, and it was kind of hard for anyone to stop me at that point, and I was able to walk out with a win. But even if this is not a way in which you score major victory points, I think you do want to invest in getting some horses on this board because just by being able to take have a little bit more of a gameplay that you can kind of play by yourself, it kind of tones down that cutthroat action that's happening on the board and it lets you feel like you're doing something you're getting some money you're moving something you're picking up some weapons so i would say for the carson city horses and heroes this is a buy if you don't have this expansion absolutely positively pick it up the hero characters don't add too much to the game but the little player board definitely does and if you have the big box edition uh, I would play with this every time. It doesn't add any kind of significant you know, time to the gameplay. It just, just reminds players that they have to take their actions with their horses when they place their meeple because a lot of players were forgetting to do this. So this is a buy, uh, and uh, happily so. All right, so that's everything for At the Table with BGA. Let's get on to our last feature review for 2016. <laughs> And now, BGA's feature review. So, we've played an abundance of games this year, and we have to thank everyone at the conventions for sitting down with us, especially the publishers, the designers, for letting us in on those games, and especially all the different game groups in which we participate throughout the year. We could not possibly get this podcast on if not with all of those great and generous gamers who also purchase and pick up some great games and get them to the table and teach us because as we talked about earlier these these games and this hobby is very expensive and only getting more expensive and it it's difficult for anthony and i to get games together especially though we we live so far far apart now at this point so uh, we brought to you the top 10 games of 2016 uh it's a pretty comprehensive list we've played a large number of games so let's start the countdown anthony how about our number 10 Okay, so I, I'm pretty sure this game would be a little bit higher on my list if it had come out a little earlier in the year. Uh, just now got into my hands fairly recently. I've played it 
a little bit. I'm already blown away. And this is definitely one of the top games of the year, but need to dig into it more. So this might be more of a retroactive a future review where I tell you to buy, buy, buy. Anyways, it is Alexander Pfister's newest game, Great Western Trail. Uh, it is about driving cattle to Kansas City, and you'll be doing it by moving your cattlemen across this map multiple times, uh, taking actions on different spaces on the map, placing your own buildings on the map, pulling off different obstacles, um, shipping cattle, scoring points for different types of cattle in your hand. Uh, the game mixes all these different elements that Fister has used in some of his other games. There is the element of trying to move across this map with other people trying to block your way, having to pay to move through things. There's a little bit of deck building involved. There are a player boards in which you have to remove different pieces to unlock different abilities and bonuses. There's a lot going on here, and it all works together seamlessly. It is a fantastic experience from start to finish because everything just flows. Every turn you take is short, quick, it's concise. There's not a ton of upkeep once you get the game moving. There are a lot of moving pieces, but they all flow together very nicely. So if for me, who loved Mombasa, uh, thought it was a fantastic game, this kind of takes similar feel in terms of like how everything kind of flows together and streamlines it even further. And it's not necessarily like that game, but it definitely feels like that. Uh, Fister has another winner here. I look forward to playing it a lot more in 2017. Uh, but for now, it does deserve a spot on this list, even with the limited plays I've had of it. That's Great Western Trail. Well, our number nine is Via Nebula. This is a Martin Wallace game that was pretty unexpected by most fans. Now, Martin Wallace is really known for his heavy type of games. And to have something so cutesy and so fun-looking and so engaging, it kind of threw a lot of people. So this game really didn't have a place to settle initially. Um, it's a very engaging game. Now... If you're not into those deep, heavy train games with all their different connections, but there is something to those games that you really do like, this is really the right game for you because it encompasses so much of what's right about Martin Wallace's games and especially the deep strategic thought that goes into them because when you're making connections, when you're building up different areas, when you are taking actions you really sincerely have to think very long term because all of those different placements on the board are not just going to benefit you but they're going to benefit all of the other opponents at the table so the thought process that goes into all of his games is present here the artwork the colorful artwork is very engaging is very nice to see the card play here is interesting and engaging as far as what you're building towards and yet it's something that can bring new players into the Martin Wallace world. So um, Via Nebula, outstanding game, has had some difficulty hitting the table, especially because of its price point. Um, I was talking to one of my friends, Jay, at the game group. I said, have you played this game? And he's like, no, it's just it, it just seems way too expensive for the price point. And it, actually it is. It's, it's a very expensive game. Um, no one would would say that Martin Wallace does not deserve the big cash, you know, kind of reward for this, but it's just the price point just doesn't fit. Um, that's probably the reason why you haven't heard about this game too much or haven't seen it on too many lists. But if you do get a chance to play it, I highly recommend Via Nebula. All right. So number eight 
on the list is the big Days of Wonder release. Uh, they only do one game every year or two, depending on if they release an expansion. And the 2016 release was Quadropolis. That's from Francois Gandon. And it is a city-building game. It's very, very simple. There's two different modes of play here, but even the more complicated, the strategic version, is pretty simple uh, and pretty straightforward to teach. I'd say it probably takes five to ten minutes to teach this game. It's very much in the in the realm of a ticket-to-ride level game. You have a grid of five-by-five grid of different tiles, and players will take turns placing their uh, architect markers, um, which each have a number on them, one through four, on one of the rows or columns of the five by five board. And you will then take the corresponding uh, tile from that location. When you take that, you place the marker there and nothing in the matching row or column can be purchased by the next person. So you're blocking different things as you go and you're building out your own tableau on your own personal board. And that's pretty much it. You'll be doing that throughout the five rounds and it will allow you to unlock all these different things, combinations you can put together. You can build different parks. You can put together towers as you stack these on top of each other. There's a lot of different things you can do, and they all score differently, uh, depending on you know how many you have, how many different sets you have, how many things are next to other things. I won't run through all of them, but it's very unique. It's very fun, and it all works together pretty seamlessly in about a one-hour period for a game that is language-independent, easy to teach, kid-friendly, but has enough depth and strategy to it that gamers will also enjoy it. It fits that very thin niche that not a lot of games can manage to do, and very rarely does a new one come out that manages to do it so well. So that's Quadropolis, kind of my favorite midweight game of the year. Our number seven game is Mare Nostrum Empire. Now, this game has some outstanding production. We talked about this back at Origins. Now, this is in some ways, dudes on a map, right? Because you are battling around the Mediterranean and you are using ancient, historical, and fantasy type of lore and characters to battle each other out. Now, while you're all playing the same type of 4X game here as you're expanding and attacking other players to reap their resources and take over their areas to kind of build upon your empire... There is also a whole pantheon of gods available to you and uh, wonders that you can build in order to give you additional powers. The production here is outstanding as you kind of expand, whether you have the basic standard kind of chits on the board or if you have the plastic kind of monuments and ships out there. Um, It's a tremendous game. It is a truly epic game of engaging strategic and tactical gameplay as you're trying to fight for um, multiple ways of winning the game, whether it's placing your buildings out at strategic locations or if you're going to build up a certain number of wonders and heroes or if you're going to build the pyramids by resources or money. It's a really engaging game with an especially different type of resource management where you're trading resources and trying to gather the right type of resources in order to build your civilization. So while you're battling trying to take people down, you also have to trade with them at the same time. This game has a lot of greatness to it that you will definitely enjoy for years to come. That's Mare Nostrum Empire. And you can get a map the size of your car. So... (laughs) It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Looks amazing. I have no idea where you'd play it. And coins that, and 
and resource chips that are probably thicker than any poker chip that I've ever seen before. <laughs> yes. It was pretty impressive. It was. Oh, man. So going from one game with ridiculous components to another, uh, number six is Mechs versus Minions. This is the game that kind of surprised everybody in the hobby, except the very small number of people who knew about it in advance back in the fall from Riot Games, a video game company that had never released a board game. And yet, here we have a board game that is probably the highest, or at least highest accessible production quality I've ever seen with just all these clever innovations from the inserts that are friendly to all the different sizes of minions to the pre-painted miniatures to the heavy metal components in some of these things to the little crystals you get to the big bosses you face to the way the rules are written so it's working you through the game one step at a time to the fact that the game is actually pretty good it's a programming game i don't like programming games i like this one a lot it's cooperative and you really do have to work together utilizing the cards that are available and mapping out who's going to get the best card for their specific option so you can work together you can make these plans there's no alphaing because you're all working on your own kind of uh, tray of cards, but at the same time trying to mitigate the damage that you're taking from the bad guys. It's really, really fun. It's very addictive. The games are not too long. They're not too tough. And the programming aspect doesn't really punish you too bad. On top of all of that, and this is not really fair to the rest of these games on this list, but it is severely underpriced. It's only 75 bucks for all the stuff you get in that box. It is now currently the largest box in my house, <laughs> board game wise. So it's not one, uh, it's compared to the rest of these we're going to talk about after this, with the exception of one, they all cost more. It is tremendous value for money, and it is a very good game on top of that. So that's the number six this year, Mechs versus Minions. Continuing to talk about amazing productions, let's talk about our number five game, Star Wars Rebellion. There's no other way to talk about this game other than Star Wars in a box. Now, you've probably played many different types of Star Wars games. They're everywhere, whether it's mass production, RPGs, or the many card and board games out there. But there's no other game like Star Wars Rebellion as far as giving you the true feel of the original trilogy. Now, this game is so unique. It really is the Lord of the Rings, the War of the Ring board game but in star wars version because you're either playing as the empire or you're playing as the rebels and there is somewhat asymmetrical gameplay going on here as the rebels you're trying to hide your base and take down the empire and as the empire you have all the power in the universe and you're spreading out your reach trying to find out where that rebel base is you have this hidden movement mechanic while also having a type of 4X mechanic where you're expanding, exploring, and exterminating the enemy. While at the same time, you're taking the original characters from that original trilogy and mixing them up a little bit. So Wedge could be frozen in carbonite. And Luke can be brought over to the dark side. So there's a number of different ways in which this Star Wars universe is played out differently but it still has the same feel. It still stays consistent to the Star Wars universe in a really meaningful way. So it's thematic to the to the core. The miniatures are outstanding. It has two Death Stars in it, 
And in fact, it was something I predicted last year that would come out, and it's here, and it's amazing. And if you're at any level a Star Wars fan or any fan of great games, then Star Wars Rebellion, our number five choice, would probably be your choice as well. I cannot believe I have not played this yet, but uh, on theme alone, I agree. All right, so moving on to number four, we have A Feast for Odin, the big, big, giant, ginormous new Uwe Rosenberg game. This is, to me, the culmination of everything he's done in the last like three or four games he has released. It has everything. It has the puzzly tile placement that you see in Patchwork, and actually Patchwork is based on the work he did in this game. It has the occupation cards that are similar to what you had in Agricola. It has this massive, massive worker placement board with 60-some-odd placement spots, similar to what you'd see in Caverna, which is so many options. It has dozens of tiles. It comes in these pre-fitted trays that make it easy to pull them out, but also easy to put them away. And they upgrade. Like Every single tile can be flipped over and upgraded to the next thing. You'll be constantly upgrading goods and getting to them to the point where they can be placed on your board and have the most value. You have dice that you can use on hunting and whaling and pillaging. There's so much stuff here, and it all works together so seamlessly. If you lay this game out on the table, it looks like a mess. But then you teach it. It only takes 20 or 30 minutes to teach. You play it. It only takes about an hour and a half to two hours to play. And you realize that somehow, despite the fact that he's jammed even more stuff in a box and taken up even more space on your table... Rosenberg has actually made a more condensed and streamlined version of his previous games. To me, it's the perfect middle line between Agricola and Caverna and Fields of Arl. And it just it's now at the top of my list is my favorite Rosenberg game. And that's that's a tough nut to crack because Caverna was up so high. So a feast for Odin. One of my favorites of the year and our number four for 2016. Yeah, this is a game that I can't wait to get to the table. I've not gotten a chance to pick this one up yet. I'm hoping if I leave Mead for Santa, he might leave this under the tree, but it may be even too heavy for him. This this is definitely a heavy game. Talking about the biggest game, now let's talk about the smallest game possible that packs probably, I'm going to guarantee even in fact, the best bang for your buck, and that's the Castles of Burgundy, the card game. Now, typically when you hear the card game, you feel like you're going to hear about the little brother that's just there to kind of pick pick your pocket a little bit, maybe another 10, 15 bucks, just because, you know, they're riding on the theme and you love the board game so much. So why wouldn't you pick up the card game? Yeah, you only play it once and twice, twice and you'll throw it out because it's not as good as the board game. Well, my friends, the Castles of Burgundy, the card game, in fact, in so many ways, is an equal to the board game. Now, what's really interesting in this game is you get this small box with these little tiny cards, and you're thinking, in fact, what are you getting here? Well, you're getting so much of a game. The cards actually have the cards are actually used in multiple different ways. And we've talked about this game in much, much detail because it's just so much fun. You're laying the cards out that are gonna mimic the board game. You're using the cards to act as dice in the game. And then you're collecting sets of cards to score victory points to get bonuses. It's quick. It's fun. It's fantastic. It's one of my favorite games of the year easily. And as I said this before, 
pick this game up, pick up multiple copies of this game, because this is a game that's going to wear out from play. That's the Castles of Burgundy, the card game, our number three. Absolutely. 100% agree on this one. Have been having a blast with this. It's probably my most played game of the last couple of months. And it has a fantastic solo mode on top of that, which... Hint for the solo people out there that our top four games all have good solo modes. So (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how that happened. All right. So moving on to number two, this is one of the hottest games since Gen Con and one of the hardest to find for that reason. And it's Terraforming Mars. This one, I feel kind of came out of nowhere. And the people who had played it before Gen Con were saying that this was amazing. But so few people had seen it or played it that... Obviously, and not enough copies were printed. Um, Terraforming Mars kind of hit the hit the place by storm, and it people have been trying to hunt it down ever since. It is a game in which you have it's very simple actually. It doesn't take a lot of time to teach, but you have multiple different resources on your track. You're upgrading each of them as you move forward. Um, you're using the same tokens for all your resources. And you're basically trying to terraform Mars. To do that, you have to place oceans, increase temperature, and uh, increase the oxygen level on the planet, which you will do in a number of different ways. Putting out greenery tiles, dropping ocean tiles, dropping comets and asteroids on the planet, killing everybody's plants, which people always appreciate. What really makes this game so unique and so much fun is that it comes with a deck of nearly 300 cards, all of them different Every single game you play will be different as you build out your tableau, and it's rare that you get a combination that is not good for you in some form or another. This is by far one of my favorite games of the year. I know there are some significant component issues here. I won't argue with that. There was definitely some production issues here, and the cost isn't fully justified by what you get out of the box in terms of components. Yeah, I think it's sad that the production, plus the fact the price point is so significantly high, really drags this game down. There is some challenge as far as the symbology is concerned, but it's an outstanding game and well, well deserving of our number two pick. But our number one, the best game of 2016, was something, in fact, I predicted last year because I got to pat myself on the back a little bit here. You know, Drew was kind of making fun of me last year when he was talking about falling into the hype. But, you know, if you're going to back anybody... You're going to back the amazing artwork here. You're going to back the amazing production here. And the kind of the man behind the machine when it comes to Kickstarter, our number one pick has got to be Scythe. Now, the Jamie Stegmeier production here, the Stonemeyer game here, offers us pretty much everything that we could ever ask for in a box. You are going to get tactical gameplay. You're going to get strategic gameplay. You're going to have a true Euro game with artwork that's pretty much unmatched this year. And in fact, it's going to engage you in so many different ways and allow you to play the game so differently. The boards, how they mix, match, and are put together, offering you that Terra Mystica type of gameplay, offering you conquering different areas, but having to pay a cost when the population is not on your side or you're doing things that are a little too rough, well, you're going to pay a cost for that. It's truly uh, Stonemeyer's kind of refinement of all of his previous games, and it's my best game, especially for 2016. I can't argue with this one at all. Like we talked about this before, <laughs> before we recorded, and it was like, well, this is mine, and this is mine, and I'm like, Scythe is definitely, I mean, averages alone, but this is one of the ones I've played the most as a heavy hero. The solo mode, the automata 
just fantastic. Already an expansion out within the same year, mm-hmm. adding more stuff to the game. All of it great. Yeah, Scythe it definitely lived up to the hype, and then some, which I'm not even sure how that's possible, considering how much hype there was for this game. Yeah. And it's one of the games we saw the most at Gen Con, which was impressive, considering they didn't even have a booth. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that really took us back, because every year someone says, what was the game of Gen Con? And you figure, well, everyone is backing Scythe, so you know they, they have their copy at home, and we saw this game everywhere. I mean, it was... Again and again, we kept looking. What is the game of the convention? It was just Scythe. And it wasn't just around Stolmeyer. It was it was being carried and played everywhere. And you could tell this game was a work of love from you know from top to bottom. There was nothing was skimped on. Whether you got the basic version or the souped up version, the artwork, the components, the gameplay, the thought that went into this game is outstanding. And Really, everyone should give this at least one play. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. All right, so that is our number one game, and that is our top 10 games of 2016. We hope that uh, this helps you make your future purchases. And while you're kind of scanning the friendly local game store looking for a game to play, everyone at BGA, we highly recommend these games. Whether you purchase them yourself, you get to the table with them, or maybe you kind of convince friends to get these games because this is something that's going to really expand our hobby and really make other people fall in love with board gaming. All right, so that's everything for this episode and everything for 2016. Until 2017, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we hope that you'll save us a seat in the new year.